You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good Sunday evening, everyone. Welcome to another installment of the Rocky Top Rewind. Glad to be back with you after a week off for the Super Bowl last week. I'm Brent Hubs. Eric Kane's going to join me in just a few minutes to talk a little Tennessee baseball. Obviously, we'll take your questions and talk some Tennessee basketball. Tough day for the volunteers and the inconsistency of this basketball team, which is maddening, uh, continues. We'll certainly talk about that. Austin Price on uh, later on in the show to talk about all things Tennessee as well. And Hopefully, we'll have a special guest. We'll wait and see if that uh, pans out or not. But uh, hopefully, we're going to have uh, a bottom-of-the-hour guest for you that you guys are going to really, really enjoy. So um, hopefully, all that is is coming up tonight on the show. We're certainly going to take your comments and, and your questions as well. So jump those, jump into those right now in the comment section. We'll get right to it with the questions. Tennessee baseball team picks up a win today. Um, and so after a tough weekend for them in Arizona, they do close out with their first win of the season, head back to Knoxville. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Two midweek games coming up this week. So we'll talk with Eric Kane, who is in Arizona to cover the volunteers. Hope you've enjoyed his coverage from out there this weekend. And uh, he will join us in a bit to talk about um, Tennessee's opening weekend and kind of what to make. Uh, of the start of the marathon, everybody's got to remember in baseball, it is very much a marathon, not a sprint. So you don't panic um, about the first weekend of the season, even though Tennessee got off to such a great start last year and have been a really fast starting team the last couple of years. Um, disappointing that they only got one of three this weekend, but not the end of the world, certainly for this team and, and plenty to learn and experiment with with them Um Coming up in a couple in the next few weeks, we've talked about that. That that's what they'll do. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk hoops. Uh, we'll talk some football. We'll talk football recruiting. Tennessee picks up a commitment from Marcus Gorey Jr. Big get for Tennessee in state. Um, so we've got lots of things to get into. So be sure and jump in your questions here. Let us know where you're watching from tonight. Hit that like button. Uh, that always helps us out uh, on the YouTube channel. So uh, give us a like there. Subscribe. Tell your friends about it. And obviously. Subscribe to Volquist.com with all the coverage that we have there. Let's start tonight with a little baseball action, and we will bring Eric Kane on, who um, is going to make his way back from Arizona. You've come back to decent weather. I don't think it's as nice as the weather you've had out there this weekend, uh, but but it looks like you're going to come back to some decent weather for a few days in East Tennessee before uh, fake spring, fake summer disappears, Eric, and, and winter returns. Um, for this Tennessee baseball team, uh, as I just said, I don't know if you heard me want to come in. I mean, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So obviously there's no, uh oh, boy, this is terrible, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, what's your big overriding takeaway from Tennessee's opening weekend? They get the, the win today, 7 nothing. Had a game in hand, it looked like, or had control of game two. Um, what, what's your takeaway from Tennessee, big picture this weekend, Eric? You know, Brett, I think this is, it, it's a new team. Uh, you look around and, You've got a new position player all across the infield, all across the outfield. It's a completely different lineup. These guys who did return, who showed out a little bit this weekend and who will show out for Tennessee, like the Moores and the Burks and, and the Dickies, I mean, they were part-time players a season ago. So, you know, my biggest takeaway is it's going to take just a little bit for them to kind of figure it out. But again, as you pointed out, it's it's nothing 
nothing you should be alarmed about. The season's not over. There's 60 some odd games or whatever uh, in this season. And, and Arizona is a really good club. Grand Canyon is a really good club. It was good for Tennessee to face the, that type of competition because when you return to Lindsey Nelson Stadium for the next month, for the most part, this non-conference slate is not challenging. Tennessee is going to run through uh, pretty much everybody, uh, in my opinion. So until you get to SEC play, you're not going to be challenged on a consistent basis like Tennessee was this weekend. So it was good to see Tennessee get a win today. They came back out. The bats were alive. The power outage was uh, lifted, uh, and it kind of went along to complement the pitching that was pretty good overall throughout the weekend. Dolander wasn't his best, but Chase Burns was fantastic on Saturday. Drew Beam was marvelous here on Sunday. Uh, was perfect through his first 11. And so it does still be okay, but they just kind of have to figure it out a little bit. And that's okay when you have as many new faces in this, in this lineup card. Well, and we talked about that heading in. You wrote about it in the previews and everything else. I mean, Tony Vitello is saying he could have, you know, up to four different leadoff hitters. I mean, this yeah. is not a team um, that everything is situated and settled. So I, I think there's the, probably didn't think about it. There probably should have been some kind of expectation of a little bit of sloppiness out there. Um, but, but they weren't, they weren't the most crisp in some of the base running and some of the yeah. things that they do there. Some of the just growing pains to start the year. Is that the, is that the biggest takeaway? I think they were trying to press a little bit. I mean, you saw, you know, late in the game on Saturday, Grand Canyon with that crowd and, and complete sidebar wrote about it. Uh, but what an environment that that was Tennessee needed to see that because when you go on the road to LSU, it's going to be like that. When you go on the road to Arkansas, it's going to be like that. And so that was fantastic. But I think a lot of times guys were just trying to press, you know, you saw Austin Jaslove, you know, beat out, uh, you know, hit in the infield, the ball gets away a little bit, just trying to make a play. And then he gets thrown out a second. You had Zane Ditton that was just a, a horrendous base running era late in that ball game on Saturday night. And Tony just kind of said, hey, he's a veteran. He's just trying, he's trying hard. All right. He just made a mistake. He knows better. Um, and then like in the field, you just had sloppiness. I mean, there was a play, and I thought Burke should have had at first base to save an error from an infielder. He had an error himself. Zane didn't actually was charged with an error today, but they kind of lifted it uh, and said it was a base hit. Just kind of some sloppiness there. And and when the margin for error is so thin against a team like Grand Canyon or Arizona. That type of stuff will get you beat. So I think Tony, Tony kind of you know summed it up in his post game interviews this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Just guys trying to do a little bit too much. You just got to stay within yourself, play your game, and you can't climb the mountain all at once. And I think that's what Tennessee tried to do at points and times with some of that stuff. But that was uncharacteristic Tennessee stuff in terms of the base running blunders. Um, they left 15 men on base on Friday and Saturday. They only left four men on base on Sunday. So that was good to see in terms of that improvement as well. Yeah, and and again, th this team. What are they going to become offensively? You know, what do they evolve into? I mean, they were such a a big inning team a year ago. Play for the big inning, right? I mean, you're not butting guys over. You're you're not you're not playing small ball. I mean, you're 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 playing for the the knockout punch with a five or six run inning because you had so many bats that could do that. What do they become offensively? How do they evolve? Is going to be interesting to see. Um, and then, you know, what the lineup looks like, I think is going to be fascinating. No surprise the pitching was was good. Um, no. what, what did you make of Tennessee outside of the three starters everybody knows uh, in terms of the pitching? Yeah, it was good to see uh, Seth Halverson take them out. I thought he pitched really well on Friday night. Pitched three innings, uh, gave up a run there towards the end, but uh, he looked really good. He was working different pitches as well. And I spoke with him, uh, you know, kind of when I caught up with him on Saturday, and he just said it was – it was just so good to be back out there, to get to jump, to, to pass that hurdle, if you will, because, you know, he hadn't pitched since 2021. Earlier today, uh, Zach Joyce, uh, same situation, essentially. He hadn't pitched in a while, and, and seeing him get back out there and, and coming on with one out, the bases loaded, back-to-back -back strikeouts, I thought that was marvelous for him. And, and Andrew Lindsay as well. He didn't get the outing that he wanted to on Saturday night. But, you know, getting these guys back in the groove that are going to play big roles for Tennessee – and just trying to kind of get them started again. I think that's what Tennessee did this weekend. Camden Sewell didn't pitch, but he will pitch a ton for Tennessee this season. He's going to be another one of those iron horses that Tony Botello and Frank Anderson have in that bullpen. So uh, there's no worries there. Uh, it's good to see uh, some, some uh, you know, he kind of emptied the bench a little bit or the bullpen, if you will, in that seventh inning today. And Xander Seacrest and Jacob Benby and, and Bryce Jenkins. 
Uh, those are all some guys that are going to contribute for Tennessee for the most part. So uh, I thought outside of the starters, who I thought for the most part were really good, especially Burns and, and, and Beam here today, it was good to see some guys make their comeback stories and, and get on the mound and pitch in a live game because you know t- Tennessee's going to use the crap out of Andrew Lindsay and Seth Halverson this year. So it was good to see them back out there. Yeah, no doubt. Now the question is, where where are things going to be with Maui, and, and what can you, what what can you, what light can you shed on, on the Maui situation? And, and and I know you posted that that this is not an NIL situation, um, this is not a, an academic situation. Sounds like it's some paperwork and some clarification that caught Tennessee off guard. Fair, yeah. fair to fair to say that, Eric. Yeah, to my understanding, this this completely blindsided Maui. Uh, this completely blindsided Tennessee, again, to my understanding. Uh, it, let me put it this way. Uh, Maui's family flew here to the Phoenix area to watch him play in this tournament. They're here. They stayed the whole weekend. They would not have made this trip if they had any inclination that their son was not going to be playing, you know, in a Tennessee uniform. So it's just really unfortunate. Um, it is not, as you pointed out, in a name, image, and likeness situation. I know we had the big uh, Weigel's deal a couple of days ago. This is not anything with grades. I just think it's a matter of an eligibility situation. And, and as we know, and as we followed in, in football and basketball over the years, it could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be a month. I don't think anything is, is alarming right now to say that, this might go on a long time, but we just don't know for right now when Maui's going to return. It's it's simply just an eligibility thing. But, you know, while he's out, I think it does kind of create some holes in that lineup because say Maui's in, he's hitting leadoff. Well, you can shift Jared Dickey down to maybe a, a three or, or, or a six hole. You know, Christian Moore's probably t- staying a second, but um, it kind of makes that lineup look, look a little bit deeper and a little, a little bit different with Zane Ditton maybe popping out a little bit. And then the shortstop. I thought Austin Jazla performed well uh, defensively for Tennessee, but you know Maui's going to be playing in major leagues. You know he's going to be drafted this year, so uh, getting him back on the field is number one priority for Tennessee. But um, again, we just don't know much about it right now, other than it's an eligibility issue, and it could be tomorrow. It could be a week from tomorrow. We just we just don't know. Well, we'll see how long it takes for them to get to that. Like you say, it's the it's the NCAA and it's the eligibility that maybe one of those committees that meet. You know, the second Tuesday of every month, you know, yeah. you just you have no idea how those things go and, and what all detail has to be resolved in that. It could be a restitution situation for something that Kansas um, we'll, we'll see uh, and we'll see how that evolves. Uh, Tennessee heading back home. Quick turnaround for the volunteers, right? As they get ready for midweek action, probably good for this team to get back on the on the grass or, or the turf at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Two good weather days going to be near 80 degrees. Um, middle of this week. What's the schedule like? What do you expect for this team? What are you looking for out of this team as they start this journey? Yeah, you know, even if it was raining, though, you got that turf. They're going to get in those midweek games. That turf has saved so much baseball the last couple of years. It's yep. incredible. Oh, but no, it's, it's good. Tennessee wants to get back. They want to keep playing. Um, again, they, they, they have a lot of arms, and that's kind of what Tony was saying at the end of this game. He was like, we wanted the Florida ride a little bit by going and winning the game, but we needed to get some guys some work, and that's what midweek games are all about. So, you know, whether it's a couple of bullpen games where you have a starter that goes three innings, then some piggybacks, that's what midweek games are for. And then more so than anything, you want to get guys some live rep actions. Uh, you know, uh, Dylan Dryling uh, this weekend, freshman outfielder, Reese Chapman, they got their toes wet just a little bit, but they did not start. They did not get consecutive bats uh, at bats in, in any game this weekend. So I expect those guys to get some starts this week. And uh, Tennessee try to try, try to figure themselves out a little bit. Again, I just think that the more they play together, the more they get in a routine, um, it'll start to come together. And that's kind of that's what uh, midweek games are all about. So two 4:30 games against Alabama A&M, and then Dayton this weekend. That Friday game is at 4:30 as well. Two o'clock on Saturday and one o'clock on Sunday. A lot of baseball here to begin the season. Yeah, and and again, I mean Tennessee going as you see the schedule that you saw the schedule there. I mean being out there. In Arizona, I mean, Tennessee's had decent weather, and you mentioned the turf, Eric, allows Tennessee to, to get on the field and practice, whereas years ago when they didn't have it, it was a real challenge. They were inside too many times when things were really wet from a condition standpoint. But but they haven't had the weather that they have in Arizona to, to play baseball. I mean, that's one of the advantages that, that those schools in those regions have, and that's one of the reasons why if you're Tennessee, you go to tournaments like this, you know, because – the weather appears, you know, is, should be good when you go out there. You shouldn't get a bunch of rain outs. You shouldn't have real cold days. 
Um, so, you know, you, you're probably playing teams that are a little further along. doesn't mean they're more talented, but they're in a little bit better of a groove because even though Tennessee's had inner squads, I mean, they're not 80 degree inner squads. So things different when, when the, when the temperature is better. So, um, again, I think everybody has to understand it is a marathon. There's nothing about this that is a sprint and, and Tennessee's got plenty of work and plenty to experimenting to do, uh, you know, coming up over the course of the next month. Um, you know, as you see there, they, they get into to, to conference play at Missouri. That's got a, that's got the makings for a really cold weekend, March 17th. But, um, you know, so plenty to get done and, and a non-conference schedule that doesn't strike you as the most uh, daunting in the world in the preseason, but one that should help this team gain a lot of experience, Eric, to get ready for SEC play. Yeah, no doubt. And again, it's just all about getting reps, uh, you know, stretching arms out, you know, playing amongst one another and just trying to figure it out a little bit. And I, I think a lot of times, too, not that the stage was too big because I don't think that they were overcome by anything. But, again, it's it's a fresh starter at every position. So, uh, at points in times, I do think that they pressed a little bit. But coming back, playing at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, uh, you know, a lot of games that you will win. I think we're going to find out a lot about this team, uh, a lot about these freshmen that didn't get a whole lot of action here. Um, over the weekend and uh, see kind of where they are when SEC play does begin. But uh, I will say this, again, another lasting impression. I think the pitching uh, was pretty pretty solid. I mean, pitching was good enough to win on Friday night. Dolander wasn't his best, but it was good enough to win on Friday night. It was absolutely good enough to win uh, on Saturday, and, and Drew Beam was fantastic today. So as long as you have arms, you will be likely uh, be a, a good baseball team. It'll take you a, a, a long way, and Tennessee has arms just like it did last year. It's just got to try to figure those out in the back end a little bit. And that's what this next portion of the schedule is for, these midweeks and this non-conference. Well, and we'll have full coverage of all of that stuff as we've had full coverage of Tennessee baseball this weekend in Arizona. Uh, Eric, enjoy your final baseball game there before you uh, hop on a, a late night travels back to Knoxville. Be careful in your travels home and uh, good luck with that motion light in the in the box you got going on <laughs> And um, we'll talk to you on the podcast this week. And obviously, you'll have plenty of baseball coverage throughout this week as well. We appreciate it, partner. Hey, thanks. Appreciate you. All right. Yep, thanks. That's Eric Kane with the latest on the Tennessee baseball team. Again, the baseball team taking one of three this weekend after losing Friday night and Saturday night. Friday night to Arizona, Saturday to Grand Canyon, and then bouncing back today with, with the win. Um, well, again, full coverage for baseballs. We're starting that marathon of coverage for you at VolQuest.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to take your questions, so go ahead and line them up in the comments section here. I'm sure some of you have a thought or two about Tennessee basketball and kind of where that thing sits after Tennessee struggles mightily against Kentucky. 19 points in the first half. Dig a hole that they can't get out of. We'll talk some hoops coming up on the other side. Austin Price will join us here coming up at the bottom of the hour to talk about all things Tennessee. We'll dive into some recruiting. Hopefully a special guest is going to join us to talk about some Tennessee football as well. That's all coming up. So we'll get those questions in there in the comments section now. Be sure and hit that like button. Be sure to check us out at ballquest.com. Plenty more coming up here as you watch the Rocky Top We Ride. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. Plenty to get to in Tennessee athletics on this Sunday night. I uh, appreciate you guys uh, letting us all watch the Super Bowl last week. And uh, we'll continue this show through spring practice. And then we'll give you some updates on what the summer schedule is going to look like here in the coming weeks for the Rewind. And then obviously we'll continue on uh, with the Rewind this coming fall for football and everything else. So uh, be sure and remind everybody that we're back at it after a week off and uh, 
hope everybody will check us out and uh, hit that like button and get us up to 500 likes and, and spread the word about the Rocky Top Rewinds, one of our favorite pieces of content to do. Jack Meadows has got a question over here. We'll get to some hoops in just a second. Uh, but uh, Jack Meadows got a, commit, a question about next commitment. Is that going to be an in-state kid or an out-of-state kid? I'm going to – I will defer that a little bit to Austin Price – uh, but I'm going to take a guess and say an in-state kid. Now, Tennessee picked up Marcus Gorey Jr. in a commitment uh, on Saturday evening. And I really like Marcus. I think Marcus, I've seen him in camp. I think Marcus is a good player, good athlete. I think that's a good find by Tennessee. Tennessee offered early. A lot of other schools have come in there. Um, and I think Marcus is a, is a really good prospect. And that's a good get in-state for Tennessee. Uh, and a good get in general uh, when you see where he's at right now. I think his stock's only going to continue to rise uh, but Tennessee was in that one early um, because they were in that one early and, and they stayed in that one early. They put themselves in a position to get that early commitment. Um, you know, that's one of the things that you have to do in state is you got to be trusting in your evaluations. And Tennessee believed in that one uh, after seeing him in camp and working him out in camp and uh, doing all their due diligence with him. And, and they went early there and, and it paid dividends for him. As you see, six one one seventy uh out of Bradley Central in Cleveland and um, listed as an athlete, I think he's going to play in the defensive backfield. Uh, we'll talk to Austin more about him here at the bottom of the hour when he joins us. But uh, a big fan of, of Marcus's game. I, I like a lot about what he does athletically. I think he's got a good nose for the football. I think he's got a good feel for the game of football. So uh, that's Tennessee's newest commit. Jack, I think their next commit is probably going to be an in-state guy. Um, but remember this, things are going to open back up in March. You're going to get guys on campus. Tennessee's going to have a junior day that first weekend in March, and then uh, they'll have a bunch of kids in for, for spring football, and, and we'll see who all jumps in and, um, you know, in terms of visiting and, and how many of those guys from the January junior days come back and sort of what all of that looks like. Uh, so it, it feels kind of quiet and dead right now, and it's going to be slow, uh, I think, news cycle-wise for the next, I don't know, 10 days or so, and then it'll crank back up. Uh, when, when March opens up and, and Tennessee works to get a bunch of guys on campus for football, spring football practices in that junior day, the first weekend. Stephen H. got a question here. Tennessee obviously still has metrics on their side with solid Ken Palm and net rankings. What's the floor for this team in terms of NCAA seeding if they stumble for the remainder of the season? You know, I think that the interesting thing about this Tennessee team Stephen, and, and I think this goes for a lot of college basketball teams. And I think this is going to be the real challenge for the committee when they go to look at seating. And, and that's just uh, teams, you know, the inconsistency of basketball teams and, and the teams that have struggled to win on the road. When, when you look at, at, at teams and, and how much they are struggling um, to, to win, you know, to win on the, to win on the road in conference play, to win on the road in non-conference play, there'll be tons of talk about, you know, quad wins and all those things. I mean, you look at Houston and where they're at right now, you see it on the screen there, 24 and two, nine and zero on the road. Who all have they played on the road? You know, what, what's that road schedule look like? Look at the rest of the road records there. Alabama's eight and two. They've only got two losses on the season. Tennessee's a four and four road team. Purdue's, Purdue, who many people think may be the best team in the country, has lost three on the road. Kansas three, UConn five, Texas four. I mean, Teams are just having a hard time winning on the road. And I think that's going to make it hard to figure out what a team's ceiling is, what their basement is, their floor is in terms of ranking. Tennessee's numbers have been really good. They're, I think the respect people have had for Tennessee, when you look at where they've been ranked, uh, I know there's been, you know, there's the gnashing of the teeth that Texas was ahead of Tennessee. Um, and, and I understand that. That didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think overall, when you look at it, there's a, there's been a ton of respect for Tennessee. It's hard to say they've been disrespected nationally uh, when you look at the rankings. So my guess for Tennessee is that, you know, probably the absolute bottom floor would be a five unless they just fell completely apart and lost out, um, which I guess is possible. I don't, I don't think that they will. But, um, you know, the problem is it's just hard to it's hard to know what you're going to get with Tennessee. Um, you know, they were terrific against Alabama, even though, I mean, their defense was was unbelievable against Alabama, but they scored against Alabama. Then you go to Kentucky, you know, and, and you scored 19 points in the first half. And I, and I don't care what your seed is. When you start playing that way, if you start doing that stuff, then then you're going to go home. You're, you're going to have a hard time making it. I'm not saying you got to score 85 points a game, but, but you're going to have a hard time doing a whole lot 
in the NCAA tournament or the SEC tournament, if your body of work over that weekend says 50, you know, 54 points, you may win a game like that, right? You may win a game 54, 52, um, but, but you're not going to, I mean, you're going to have to have a day where you score, you know, 70, 75 points to advance. You're going to always need to be, you know, pretty much in the sixties. I think, I think it's hard to win that kind of low scoring game because you're putting so much pressure on yourself defensively to be perfect because you don't bail yourself out with the with the ability to you know to shoot yourself out of a day where maybe somebody's doing something to you defensively it causes some problems yes Tennessee's at without Julian Phillips or without Josiah Jordan James and that's significant but they were without him against Alabama and they out physical Alabama um they didn't out you know they didn't out physical Kentucky uh and and you know didn't shoot the basketball well and, and look I understand, you know, Coach Barnes and and talking about, you know, offense affecting defense and some of those things, and, and that's probably true. But at some point in time, the reality for this team is they're very inconsistent offensively. And w- when you play basketball since November and you're still inconsistent offensively in February, you don't know what you're going to get night in and night out from guys on the offensive end of the floor, That then you've got some challenges. You might get hot at the right time. I'm not saying this team's going to be one in – and done in the tournament or anything like that. I mean, this team could, you know, they got components. If they shoot the ball and score, then they, they can make runs. You know, if they don't, then they're going to have some issues. You know, you know, the Zakai Ziegler thing is as great as he was against Alabama, back in foul trouble, you know, against Kentucky, only played 23 minutes. Tennessee's not going to win with Zakai Ziegler shooting two of 10 and only playing 23 minutes in the basketball game. He's got to be better than that. Um, you know, he was terrific against Alabama, but he wasn't very good against, against Kentucky. It's not all on him. You you look at other guys out there and, and, um, you know, they've got to play better than what, than what they played. And and there's, there's no, I mean, Tyree key, everybody thought maybe he had turned a corner because he played well against uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri, two of the worst defensive teams in the country. And he's not been able to throw it in the ocean the last two games. Uh, he did not shoot it at worth a, worth anything against Alabama, and he was worse against Kentucky. 0 of 5 from the floor, 0 of 4 from the, the three-point line, um, 1 of 2 at the free throw line. But here's the other thing. 4 of 14 at the free throw line is not going to get it done either. Tennessee didn't give themselves a chance to win on Saturday in Rupp Arena, and, and I think that's the biggest the biggest head-scratcher is, is this team um, should give themselves a chance to win every game. And they didn't do enough things to give themselves a legitimate chance to win because they fell behind as far as they did and just just did not play well. And, um, you know, the, the, the challenges are not getting easier because Texas A&M is going to get into them and play physical, try to bully them around a little bit. That'll be a hostile environment down there. That one's going to be hard. Uh, so we'll see what that looks like. And then obviously they've got Arkansas and then, and then Auburn as well. So, um, first it's A&M and we'll see how Tennessee answers that challenge here. Let's get, uh, James's question in here with Tennessee making this is a football question with Tennessee making no coaching changes on the defensive side of the ball. Do you think there will be any schematic changes to try to address the issues in the secondary? You know, I don't know schematically really what you can could you do. I mean, you know, you can run cover two, you can run zero cover three, you know, you can run shell here. You can play a little man under, I mean, you, you can, I mean, they, they've got all of the quote schemes that you are. I think the biggest thing you have to do in the secondary is you got to tighten up. And that's what something Tim Banks talked about when he met with the media is you've got to have guys who are willing to take more chances at corner, not be so afraid of getting beat deep. Um, got to have safety help over the top. Your safeties have to be more active. They've got to tighten windows and zone. So I don't know that it's a matter of schematics as much as it is style of play. Um, now, if you can get to the quarterback on a more consistent basis, that probably helps guys to be more aggressive. Um, it was one of the you know more pleasing things that Denico, about Danico Slaughter moving the corner. I mean, the first time he moves the corner and plays corner against Kentucky, he makes two plays that Tennessee hadn't made in the secondary all year long uh, with an interception and, and a forced interception. So, um, you know, they've just got to have guys play more aggressive on, on the edge. I, I think they're just – too much passive, too much space being given out there. Uh, when, when you look at that, that's um, that's kind of a head scratcher. That that um, guys got to play with some more confidence, and and maybe that'll happen with more competition this spring, um, and guys being out there this spring. I think one of the things you look at, you know, all those guys missing spring practice last year was a real detriment to Tennessee's development in the secondary. I mean, a real detriment. 
so the result is you take a guy like Christian Charles, um, who's a safety. I mean, he's a natural safety. He's not a guy who can, who's a corner and you try to, you know, basically will him into being a corner and he, and he didn't play like he was comfortable at corner. He gave up a lot of cushion. He was a good tackler, let the ball get caught in front of him. Um, because he was so afraid of getting beat over the top. Uh, Tennessee's going to have to ratchet it up, and, and they're going to have to play um, play tighter coverage and, and, and close windows down and not make it so easy for quarterbacks to stick the ball in there and zone and, and then the cushion you give up in man. Now, the best friend those guys in the back end can have is does, does James Pierce come on and become what you hope he is as a pass rusher, Joshua Joseph, um, can they get to the quarterback inside and outside? You know, where's their pass rush? Can they get there without having to bring a bunch of extra people? That's the next That's the next physical growth for this defense that would change what the schematics look like is if you can be a team that um, can get there without blitzing everybody and, and out without opening up the middle of the field. Now, the thing players have to understand is if they're going to blitz and the corners have to do this, they've got to be tied in. And, and we had – Jonathan Wade on the Rocky Top Rewind during the fall. Uh, we had Leonard Little on. We, we had a bunch of former players on to talk about Tennessee and their play in the secondary. And they all talked about how tied in it is. Will Overstreet has spoke about this on the, the Vol Network pregame show, uh, Big Orange Countdown, all season long when talking about the secondary. If, if the secondary knows that the defensive end's blitzing, you know, or if they're bringing a safety blitz off the edge or whatever – that corner's got to recognize a hot's coming, you know, and, and when that hot is coming, um, th then, you know, they got to throw the slant and, and they've got to work the slant and those things like that are coming. And Tennessee's got to do a better job of that in, in the secondary and they've got to be better connected front end to back end. You know, if you want to call that schematics, you can call that schematics if you want to. Uh, but, but that's what, um, you know, that's what that, that, that's where that's got to improve, and that's what's got to get better for, for Tennessee um, in, in terms of the defense. But in terms of major schematic changes, no. I, I think what you're seeing out of Tennessee is they want to be a pressure team. Uh, they want to be a team that can uh, get after the quarterback, but they want to be able to do it with a front forward and try to mix it up and not just be a team that pressure's coming with an A-gap linebacker blitz or – you know, they're, they're rolling in a corner blitz off the, the, the short side and, and rolling the safety over the top. So they just got to work in better harmony and they've got to be more effective off the edge, rushing the quarterback to, to help the secondary and some personnel things. I mean, Tennessee's got to get f faster back there. Austin's talked about that. I don't disagree. They need to be faster at the safety position um, and they've got to play more aggressively at the corner. So, James, I appreciate the question. Steven, I appreciate the question. Everybody else can line up more questions here. We'll run through as many of these as we get to. And, and again, Austin's going to join us here in a couple of minutes. And, and hopefully we'll get it, uh, our special guest on. We'll see if the timing works out for that. Volguy23 wants to know, who needs to improve the most for the basketball team to make a run in the tournament? I don't think it's improvement. I just think it's consistency. you got to know what you're going to get night in and night out from guys. I'm not saying anybody's got to shoot 80% from the floor. Okay, you, you don't need anything like that. But but you can't have – I mean, you, you can't have a Tyreek Key – I mean, he can't go over back-to-back games after giving you double digits. Um, you know, you, you can't have Zakai Ziegler, as I just mentioned earlier. He, he can't play – you know, for this team, he's got to play more in, in more than 23 minutes. And what he's got to realize is he's got to understand he is more valuable on the court for 30-plus minutes a game – than he is the one particular steal he's trying to go after that he ends up committing a silly foul on. And, and, and that's his biggest challenge. You know, I, I go back, not talking about the Kentucky game, but I go back to the, to the Missouri game. His fifth foul was a really poor basketball play. It's 90 feet from the basket. There's no value in making that play there. I mean, it, it I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't in a position to really make the steal. He was taking too big of a risk and getting the foul there. He's got to understand, and I'm not, I don't want to take his aggressiveness away. Okay. But he's got to understand better control on the defensive end of the floor and not take some of the chances he's taking to get himself in a situation where he's sitting on the bench with fouls. 
Because the problem you got right now, some some people say, well, let him play through. You get two fouls, don't make him go automatically go to the bench. He gets two fouls in the first half with nine minutes to go in the first half. Do you trust him to get to the half with with two fouls and not pick up a third or a fourth? I mean, you you have a hard time with that when you look at at some of the fouls that he has gotten in some of the situations that he's gotten them in, and he's not helped himself there. So, um, you know, I, I think that is a guy who um, has to be more consistent. If you're talking about individual improvement, Tobe Awanka has got to score the basketball better. He's got to finish at the rim better. He's got to shoot free throws better. He was 0 for 4, and he was 0 for 1 at the free throw line. Now, he has six rebounds, include four offensively. It's hard not to play him, right? I mean, it's hard not to play him when he's that effective in terms of getting you the ball, but but he's got to be able to he's got to be able to make layups. You know, he's got to be able to consistently um, make the easy shots for you and put yourself in a situation where you can make um, make those free throws and, and close that out. So I, I think that's the biggest issue that that you have going on there. I tell you what, we're going to get to do. We're going to do a break. We're going to take sixty seconds. Austin Price is going to join us, and then on the other side of that. No offense to Austin. He's not, the, he's not the showstopper to finish this thing out. On the other side, when we come back, Austin will join me and guard Trey Smith of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs is going to join us on the Rocky Top Rewind. That's coming up in 60 seconds. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. Let's line them up and get them in here. Austin Price of VolQuest.com joins me, and let's go ahead and bring him on here. He is the world champion guard of the Kansas City Chiefs. Captain No Sacks, Trey Smith, joins us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Big man, congratulations. How are we doing? Doing good, man. How y'all doing tonight? We're doing fantastic. Th- thanks for joining us. Uh, Austin, we'll jump in here. we got a lot of questions. I, this is the one I wanted to ask somebody for a long time who's played in this game. Can you describe what it's like to play in the game? Take the winning side out of it, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. The week, the buildup, I mean, as a kid, we all watch the game, right? As adults, we all watch the game. We see the circus around it all week long. To be in that moment, Trey, to have wanted that growing up as a kid, and that's been such a big part, football a big part, what it feel like just to get to play in the game? Yeah, um, man, dude, like such a rush of emotions. Um, you're not necessarily just nervousness or anxiety. It's just the build up to the moment. You know, you talk about the week of preparation. I'll take it all the way back to the AFC Championship game. Like the fact, okay, you're realizing I'm about to go play in the Super Bowl. It's crazy. Uh, just being in the game. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable experience. It's something that you. As a kid, you think about the whole time, man. All the nerves, all the jitters, you're in that moment. You're in that situation. I will say that uh, I'm disappointed, one in myself, because I was not prepared. I was rushing in here from doing two other shows, radio. You were on with me earlier on The Nation and then TV. I, I should have slid over to, to and got my goggles from my scoop, from my uh, snorkeling, uh, you know. And then you, I'm disappointed you, you didn't wear the goggles on this interview. Like, where are the goggles? We've seen the pictures of you and the goggles. Yeah. Where are the goggles? Uh, let's see. They actually might not be too far to run and grab them, but <laughs> that hooked the whole team up with the Oakley goggles. That's nice. So as, as the clock's, you know, ticking down, you make the field goal. When did it truly set in for you? When did it set in? Wow. We just won the Super Bowl. Man. Um, obviously, field goal goes in. 
Hurts goes back to throw the last ball and we hit the ground. Um, it's almost like nothing mattered. Tom stood still. And I was around the field and just sort of looking around. And I think it, it really hit me when I saw my dad, my sister, my family coming onto the field, the confetti's flying everywhere, man. It's just like, we really did it. <laughs> you know, we won the Super Bowl. We're world champions. Um, just to build up to that moment, you know, it's still surreal to sit there and think about it. For, for you, Trey, I mean, what's just the journey? I mean, you landed in a great spot, right? I mean, you, you landed with a great franchise. The opportunity was there. You didn't get there necessarily the way you wanted to, right? But but yeah. you land there. What's this journey been like for you the, the last two seasons? I mean, to go from six-round guy who's looking for an opportunity and then you seize the day and now you're – anchored in as a starter and an anchor on an offensive line for a world champion team. How, how would you describe the journey for fans out there? Yeah, man, it's been a roller coaster. Um, you know, we talk about the beginning of it, uh, obviously days at Tennessee, diagnosed with blood clots, going to the draft, and, you know, you don't go as high as you wanted to, and you're that low man on the totem pole again, so you work your way up. And getting the opportunity to start, you know, was just a crazy thing, going to training camp, uh, going against one of the best players in the world. You got a guy like Chris Jones humbling you on day one, going in one-on-ones and different reps in practice. And then you build a little bit more, you know, experience as a starter throughout the year. And then you look back on it, it's like, man, it was, it was a good year, but we were that close to the Super Bowl. And then you come back to this year, you fast forward a whole other year in the league. You know, I'm not a rookie anymore. I need to know a lot of different things. And, you know, you have a year like I did and you win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, just telling people, you know, in 2018, uh, Two times at that point in the year, I was told to stop playing football. And then, you know, you look where I am now, I'm a Super Bowl champion. So uh, it's nothing but God, you know, he had a plan for me. But, I mean, it's been a roller coaster, man. A lot of ups and a lot of downs, but here I am. All right. So you brought it up, and, and I don't want to deep dive into all of that. But emotionally, how do you get through, I guess, your 2018? How do you, how do you get through the, that part of the roller coaster? Yeah, uh, a lot of it was I was relying on my faith. Um, there are a lot of hard days, man, you know, like almost six months just working out, grueling heat in the summer, uh, off-season program, you know how hard that is. And it's just like you don't know if you're even going to have the opportunity to play football anymore. So there are a lot of times, you know, questioning, man, is it worth it? Is it worth coming down here and doing all this stuff? But, you know, ultimately I had a goal in my mind and I had a plan and, you know, uh, I just sort of – I had a feeling that I'm going to get the opportunity, and when I get it, I need to be ready. So, for me, my faith really prevailed through it, you know, just staying focused, just building pretty much my relationship with God and just trusting in Him. Uh, you're one of the best ambassadors that's come through here in a long, long time. And Tennessee's had a bunch of them, right? I mean, whether it be Pat Summit or Peyton Manning or whoever. Um, but, I mean, you, you love Tennessee. I always thought it was such an injustice that your senior day was played in front of, like, 13 people. Um, you know what I mean? Like your last run through the T, like, I mean, it just wasn't the same. I mean, like, um, we talked about this a little bit on the nation. You had seen kneeling at its best and obviously 2020, you know, was, you know, a shell of that. Then you get drafted by, I think, you know, NFL is equivalent of college athletics, which is the Kansas City Chiefs and their incredible fan base. Um, was that kind of like, okay, now we're back. You know, I'm seeing kneeling now. Now we've got the arrowhead, this 2020 things. Just let's wash that away. Yeah. No, man, that, that's like one of the, the coolest parts about playing here is the fan base, man. The kingdom, uh, they're truly special. You know, I love my Vol fans, Vol Nation. Um, and I, I sort of, like like we talked about earlier, you sort of get that same feel, you know, playing arrowhead, playing in front of them. We've gone to different stadiums across the league and that, that, tight-knit, you know, passion for the athletics, the fans, you know, it's not the same like the Chiefs. It's not the same like Tennessee, obviously. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's really special to play in that environment. And even going back to senior day, man, just the fact that I got to run through the tee one last time, I still loved it, man. I'd still do it all over again. So when you uh, – you, you see Tennessee having the success this year, and they're, you know, 11-2, and two, first, you know, 10 wins in over 20 years and, and win the Orange Bowl – we saw so many of these, like, kind of like after the Florida game, after the Alabama game, these players in the NFL who had made bets with their teammates who were Alabama guys or Florida guys, and those guys were having to pay up. Any any instances like that for you this year with your teammates? 
Yeah. Um, luck, man, my Alabama guys got lucky. I had Jaron Reed uh, on our squad last year. We used to talk a lot of trash to each other. Uh, but unfortunately, there were no Bama guys on our roster when we beat them. Uh, I let everyone in that building, that hotel we were staying in, know that we won that game. So I was running <laughs> all screaming and yelling. Uh, and I wore my orange and stuff the whole next day. Uh, but I think the best one I have is I got at uh, Cornell Powell and Justin Ross. So Cornell and I, we got drafted together. I mean, from day one, I was just talking mess about Clemson the entire time. Like, man, whenever we see you guys, we're going to beat you. You guys aren't that good. Y'all don't play anybody, et cetera, et cetera. And then the fact that we got grouped up in the bowl game, I made a bet uh, with both of them that when we beat them, they're going to have to wear the real orange, you know, Tennessee orange. So I got some good pictures of them, and I let them have it on social media too. But that was fun, man. <laughs> that's that's great. I mean, I love it when guys do that. I mean, I, I love – and look – if you'd have lost the bet, you'd have wore it, you know, but, but because that's the college, the college part never goes away. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's who you are and, and it's what you're about because of that experience. I think that's fantastic. Football wise, one more question for me from a football standpoint, you knew you were talented. You knew you had the ability to play. Has there been a game? Has there been a drive? Has there been a block where, you said whether it was in training camp your rookie year, sometime during your rookie season, even your second year, where you said, "Yeah, like I, I, I absolutely belong. I can absolutely, I can, I can handle people in this league." Did you have a moment like that, or did you already coming in like, "Hey, I got this. I'm good." Yeah, uh, coming into the league it was just like it's the unknown. You know, it's like, do I belong? Um, What's it going to be like? You know, obviously you hear about people being bigger, faster, stronger. You know what you're going against, seeing these guys since you were a kid. And I think my moment came early in training camp. Uh, obviously a guy named Chris Jones, we all know about him. Yeah, he's good. Uh, yeah, and, um, and, dude, going against him, you know, my rookie year in camp last year, you know, there were some moments where, okay, pass pro reps or one-on-one where I get them here or there, and it's just like, okay, if I can block him, I belong in this league. You know, I can do it at a high level. And, you know, being able to play against a player of that caliber, man, you know, can't thank him enough just for all the, you know, the reps that you get, man. They're priceless. But I think those moments blocking him my, my rookie year were probably some of the bigger ones. We'd love to talk about your love for wings, especially in Jackson. <laughs> a lot of good barbecue out in Kansas City. Take us through your best eats in Kansas City. For all fans that may venture to Kansas City to either watch you play or just be slow going through town, let's, let's, let's hear your uh, YouTube review. Yeah, I got some uh, some pretty good uh, barbecue spots down there. My favorite one is uh, Jack Stack, really good on the burn ends. They have these uh, lamb ribs they got, dude, unbelievable. Q thirty nine is a really good spot. Uh, Blind Box Barbecue is sort of a little hidden one, and uh, BB Longside they have some really good burn ends there too. So, but I, I'd say my number one Jack Stack. Oh, honorable mention, uh, Original Joe's. You gotta go to the original location. That one's special. All right, so answer me this. Is is this story that you would buy 50 wings in Knoxville and you would you would just throw them in the fridge overnight and then you got up the next morning while everybody else is eating eggs and toast or whatever, you just you just rolled out and finished off the back half of that wing order. Is that a, is that a legit story or is that one of is that is that a is that you know Trey you like to fish a little bit too. Is that one of those stories that's yeah. As you've left, it's gotten to be a little bit more than what it is. Or are you really a 25-wing morning breakfast guy? Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I'll take them down, dude. Uh, I'm not a big breakfast guy. Uh, I'm, I'm not huge. I love my pancakes, though. But I'm not a, I'm not the biggest breakfast guy. So I would go to uh, Big Kahuna Wings, you know, order 40 to 50 of them, like you said, as many as I could take down and take them down the morning after, bro. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Where in the world did they find that picture? They found that one deep. Um, <laughs> let's see. There, there's some other good wing spots. A guy, Nappy Wings, used to love him. Uh, and then Seattle uh, X in Knoxville. They call it the Chicken Shack now. They have some of the best wings. So I used to call myself the wing enthusiast because, you know, I'll take them down. I'll judge them. So, so I mean, are you eating them, are you eating them hot, like, for the, for the next morning? Or is that like a – is that a, a, a naked wing that you're not – you don't use the dipping sauce for breakfast? Or are you just – you rolling some hot wings, nuclear wings from the night before for, for breakfast time? <laughs> no, nah, man, I'm just putting them in the air fryer. I'm getting ready to go and fresh. So but they're I, already seasoned because so they're hot. 
They're hot yep. wings at at seven thirty in the morning. Yep. Dude, what a stomach! Holy smokes, <laughs> what a stomach you got on you. That may that may be the best body part you got, Trey. It may not be your shoulders. It may not be your ability to roll your hips into a block. You may have the most ironclad stomach I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's legendary. Just ask Trey's <laughs> about it. It's legendary. <laughs> How how much do you enjoy? Like I, I don't think you don't play Carolina this year, did you? No, we didn't. So like, but when you get to run into some former balls or some former teammates or former so you know acquaintances or recruiting or whatever, uh, you know after games or before games in the NFL, um, how much does the college pride kick back in? As Hubs was talking about earlier. Yeah, it's a it, it kicks back in pretty hard. Um, that's one of the coolest moments, you know, seeing guys uh, from Tennessee. Uh, got out put like Josh Palmer playing them two times a year with the Chargers. Uh, seeing Matthew Butler this year with the Raiders, and you know, honestly, I want to play Cade, you know, with the Panthers at some point. But that's really the cool part about it is you know, these guys that you have a great relationship with, you play ball with for years, and then they're succeeding at the next level and being able to share that joy. I know, like, I think last year, our preseason game against the 49ers, seeing like Emmanuel Mosley, Jawan, you know, those guys, and just chopping it up with them. That's it's awesome, man. That's the best part about it. We we talked about uh, Darnell when we when you were on the Nation earlier tonight. Um, you know to see kind of where he's come from from a maturity level, not just play. Obviously he, he had a great year, but from a maturity level and how much he's grown under Coach Ellerby. Um, how much have you got to talk to Coach Ellerby um, when you've been in town? And then just you know kind of Darnell, what you know, and talk your talks with Darnell. How much do you feel like he really helped Darnell the last couple of years? Yeah, no. Uh, every time I go to Knoxville, I usually hang around the complex a little bit. And I think the last time I went down there in uh, the middle of the season, uh, you know, Coach Heupel and staff were gracious enough to let me in, just sort of sit in the meeting. And every time I go to Knoxville, I always see uh, Coach Ellerbury. He's one of the nicest guys, and he's done a phenomenal job with that group. And just seeing the way Darnell's progressed since, like, day one when he got there and then seeing him in the meeting room, uh, the level of uh, – professionalism he was bringing you know the attentiveness to the meetings and he was even interjecting and helping out from time to time and teaching other people so i mean it was really it's awesome to see um i'm really just excited I'm, i can't wait to see him progress in the next level in the league uh but talk about a guy who has really matured and taken it on himself to get better this season you know it was really fun to watch him trey for you how much pride i mean you you were part of laying the foundation it didn't you know when you came to tennessee you talked about getting tennessee back and it and you know, COVID messed everything up and, and, and it wasn't, it didn't end, you know, the record wise, everything you wanted to accomplish, but how much pride did you have in what, and how much have you enjoyed watching this team play, you know, particularly this last year, knowing that so many of those guys were your teammates, that you were a part of helping form the culture that Josh Heupel took to a different level, but you laid a lot of that foundation. How prideful are you of that? Man, extremely prideful. Uh, I know my bio for a long time. Uh, even after the 17th season, I had a proud Tennessee volunteer at the top of it. So for me, there's an immense sense of pride uh, when I put on the power tee, when I wear my orange. Uh, you can ask people down here, I always wear my Tennessee gear. Like, I'm never going to shy away from where I come from and the fact that I played there. Um, but being able to watch them excel this year the way they did, uh, even a sense of excitement in the Kansas City Chiefs building, you know, passing people by, talking about, hey, you saw the game. Man, they look good. Uh, it's special, man. And the thing about Tennessee is so great. It's been a sleeping giant for a minute, and it's starting to wake up again. And it's so freaking exciting to see. You look at the amount of kids and students that are coming into the uh, University of Tennessee, the excitement around the net. You know, we have a Blitnikoff Award winner. You know, watching these guys excel at the highest level and get this uh, university, this organization the more respect that it deserves, you know, it's so much fun to watch. All right, let's let's take Chief Kingdom out of the out of the equation here. Where's your fa- where's where did you have you enjoyed playing most in the NFL? Maybe it's to shut a fan base up. I guess that's I probably know the answer to that one already. Uh, I did watch a few Ke- Travis Kelsey interviews, so I, I probably know the answer to that one. But where have you enjoyed playing? Uh, maybe that you had on your bucket list. But hey, I'd like to play there someday. I know you haven't gotten to them all, but is there one or two places that that you really enjoyed playing in that venue outside of Arrowhead? Yeah, I don't want to add on uh, everything, but playing in Philadelphia was a really incredible moment. Uh, last year, uh, the fan base there, you know, they're, they're rowdy, man, and they really get after it. So sort of fun silencing them. Uh, I think another one, like the one Creed and I talk about a lot, is playing in Baltimore at a night game in Be More. Uh, that was our first NFL road game. I remember seeing, 
uh, Ray Lewis come out. He does his dance before the game, and you get like chills down your spine. Like, man, that's Ray Lewis. Man, everybody. <laughs> uh, those are two uh, really unique ones. Uh, one that I really uh, want to play out one day is uh, in Dallas. I guess in Arlington in that stadium. Uh, that's sort of a place I always wanted to play at as well. But I would say Philly and Baltimore were probably my top two. What's the biggest thing? I mean, we we again we talked a little bit about this earlier, but what now that you've kind of got the Super Bowl out of the way in year two, mm-hmm. playing with house money in a lot of ways, but I know you're still driven besides more Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. What does Trey Smith want to accomplish? Um I want to really just start impacting more lives and for me, start giving back more. Uh, so I want to get a football camp done. I want to give back to the community of Jackson where I'm from, you know, help out people who really need help and just really give back. That's sort of one thing I'm sort of drafting up right now. Like how can I help other people out? Um, ultimately, you know, accolades, things of that nature will come. You know, if I do my job, it's just right now, how can I impact more people? You know, I've been blessed in the situation I'm in. You know, how can I give back a little bit more? Well, you've – I mean, that that's who you are. I mean, that's the mainstay. That, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in high school or you're in college or in the NFL. That's 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 you to the core it is, you know, all the all the, all the the community service stuff you did in Knoxville. And I know the stuff you've already started to implement in Kansas City. And um, I, I know how much that Chief Kingdom um, has, has fallen in love with you and only going to continue to fall in love with you. I, I'm going to ask one more football question, Austin, here, and, and we're going to let Trey get out the door. But how hard is it to block for Patrick Mahomes when you don't know where he's going? And how much did you have to change the whole process of like, okay, that's a scramble, that's not a scramble. I go, I don't go. How is that something you guys – how do you practice that? Like what do you do to handle a Patrick Mahomes scramble from a blocking standpoint? Yeah, uh, that was something that was hard to adapt to when I first got to Kansas City. Uh, or my coach used to be like, you know what, get rid of the egg timer in your head. You know, you play with one of the most um, explosive playmakers in the NFL. He's going to extend plays. And for me, it's more so, okay, I understand he's going to roll out here where he might be extending a play. I need to sprint, make sure he's covered up. The main thing for me is just like, okay, as long as I can block my guy and just sustain my block and strain to finish, you know, I'll be good. But it's definitely something I had to adapt to. But in the same breath, Pat does a great job of avoiding people getting free and making plays. So he makes it really easy to operate. Uh, but I think that was just something a little different uh, to work with, man. It's just, you know, straining to finish with this guy because he's going to extend the play. You know, you're never out with the 15 behind you. Well, Trey, man, we appreciate you. And, you know, it, it feels like just yesterday we were out there in that auditorium in Jackson and you were putting on the Tennessee and leading Rocky Top with the student section out there at USJ. And now you're a Super Bowl champ and uh, heading into year three, you're ready for that big contract year. <clears throat> pay him. Pay the man. Pay the man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, you're awesome, man. Congratulations. I know it's been a fun ride. Continue great health. Great off season. Looking forward to what you're going to do on the field, uh, but continue to look forward to the impact you make with, with so many kids and youth and adults off the field, whether it's in Knoxville, or Jackson, Kansas City. Godspeed, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate y'all, man. Thanks, right, Trey. Thank you. That's Trey Smith. It's a pretty good guest tonight, Austin Price. It's pretty good to to have that guy jump on the line and visit with us. Yeah, no doubt. And again, uh, you know, just an ambassador, and will be an ambassador for Tennessee for a long, long time. He's super well spoken. He's super. Uh, big hearted and, uh, you know, just really, really impressed by that kid. The more and more, um, you know, I'm around him, the more and more, you know, we kind of keep in touch, um, you know, post playing days here, the more I, you know, really kind of, you know, have a fondness for him and just, you know, how he thinks of others, Hubbard. It's, it's, uh, you know, pretty impressive. And again, the Chiefs got him on a nice, nice discount these first few years, you know, because of the blood clots. I hope that they, uh, pay the man coming up here after that contract is up and he gets a big hefty uh, second contract in the NFL. Yeah, certainly. But before we get out the door here, let's circle back to Tennessee for just a second. I talked earlier on the program about Tennessee picking up a commitment from Marcus Gorey. Um, what, what do you like about Marcus Gorey? What's the significance of the Marcus Gorey commitment for Tennessee? Uh, what, what do you, what do you, what do you like about that one? Well, it's super long. You know, he's six, one, a legit six, one. If you watch my interview with him, I mean, he's he to me he's underrated by all services. Um, 
you know, consensus three star. I think that's going to change. I bet you he's an on three consensus four star and ranked on by on three as a four star uh, sooner rather than later. Kid's got high upside. Um, you know, I, I just love his length. And, uh, you know, to me, this is a big get for uh, Josh Heupel, for Willie Martinez, for Tim Banks, and the entire Tennessee defense. And again, keeping the best players in state in state. You're not going to keep them all at home. You know, as we talked about on the general's quarters the other day, there was 40-something kids signed with Power 5 programs. Tennessee didn't want but a fraction of those um, because you can't take them all and you got to really rely on your, your self-evaluations. But, uh, you know, I think they're doing a nice job. They've already got Beasley. They're, you know, in a good spot with Edmund Spillman, in a good spot with a guy like Boo Carter who's really close and, uh, you know, teammates with MPA with Marcus Gorey, who, again, is one of, to me, one of the top two or three players in the state. Well, certainly a good get for Tennessee. And, um, it's, again, things open back up in March, and uh, we'll, we'll get going there. So we'll uh, we'll cover all of that for you. Again, if you just join us, Eric Kane talked about baseball right off the top, Tennessee basketball team, another challenging week for them. We'll see if they can find any kind of consistency as they remain on the road to take on Texas A&M. And we'll, uh, this will be obviously YouTube live now, but it will be archived on YouTube if you missed our conversation with Trey Smith. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. We have plenty of coverage of everything, all things Tennessee, uh, at VolQuest.com. Be sure and hit the like button. Be sure and sign up for VolQuest. You can get a year of it for just $29.99. That's at VolQuest.com. So check us out. For Eric Kane, for Trey Smith, who we thank him for his time tonight, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubs. So glad that you joined us tonight. Have a great rest of your evening, and we'll see you next Sunday on the Rewind.